The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, I grew up in the country, all right? And by country, I mean we were a good 40 minutes from the closest Walmart, all right? And to go to Walmart, we would make a bi-weekly trip, and it was a big deal. It was like going to some big city mall. We thought Walmart was just what was up. And then when super centers were introduced, yes, I lived pre-Walmart super center. When super centers were introduced, we thought, oh my goodness, this is the best thing ever. And we just thought that it was the largest store we had ever seen. And my sister and I would get so excited getting to go to uh, Walmart. But that's how far out we lived. And there wasn't a lot to do out in the country where we lived. We were 15 minutes from the nearest gas station. So we had to make sure we planned everything, right? Because you didn't want to run out of gas. Um, So living that far out in the country with kids with not a lot to do, one of my favorite things to do was build forts as a kid. And I was pretty good at building forts, but there's say so myself. Um, One of the things that I used to love to do is I would go to the edge of the property that we lived on, and there was a barbed wire fence. And I would go to the corner of this barbed wire fence where the posts were, and I would take an old rusty, dull machete that I had found laying on the ground somewhere when I was eight, nine years old, and I would whack down stalks of bamboo, and I would lay them in that corner and they would continue to get longer, you know, kind of as the the corner would separate. And then I took more bamboo, and I would drive it into the ground with a hammer and build walls. And I would create rooms, and we would build these massive huts and these forts out of bamboo, then we'd cover it with pine straw. And man, I used to love doing that, but I got bored after we were done building. I would want to tear it down and build it again, because I I love building things. It was just something I enjoyed doing as a kid. The thing I always wanted to build, though, was a tree house. I always wanted to build a tree house, but my dad would never get me nails. He would never get me a saw. He would never let me use his tools, so I had to improvise. I found an old shed that was about to fall down, that was, uh, you know, a couple properties away from ours. And I decided to go borrow my dad's claw hammer. I don't know if he knows this or not, or even knows this happened. So if he listens to this or watches this, I may be getting a phone call. There's a statute of limitations, though, for childhood, you know, disobedience that has been kept secret, I think, anyways, there should be. I was um, nine years old, And I went and took my dad's claw hammer and went to this old shed and I began to pull nails out of this shed because I needed nails to build my tree house. The forts were getting old. I wanted the, you know, elusive tree house. And I went and pulled these nails out of this old shed. And then I had all of these old rusty bent nails. And I thought, what am I going to do next? And I thought, I need some wood. Well, that barn is kind of falling down, so I'll just go beat some of those, you know, uh, I'll reclaim the wood. See, I was so far ahead of HGTV. <laughs> reclaim wood was something that I was into back in the 80s. So I went, and got, <laughs> I went and got the reclaimed wood and this rotten barn wood and these bent rusty nails, and I began to drive those nails, as only a nine-year-old boy can, into the perfect tree for my tree house. I took those things and thought, you know, one nail would be good enough because I did have to use them sparingly because I didn't have all that many. So one nail for each rung of my little ladder that I was going to build, which you know what happens as you stand on that. You begin to 
lean to one side or the other depending on how you shift your weight. And as you try to take that next step, the other one goes that way. And, but I made it up the tree through building this ladder. And then I had my friend hand me the wood we had borrowed from the neighbor's barn. And I began to take those nails that we had tried our best to straighten out. And I began to build the platform and the base for this treehouse. And I had this vision of how this thing was going to look. It was going to be epic. But as you would probably have guessed, it didn't take long for that old rotten wood we had reclaimed in our lack of engineering prowess as children that I fell out of this treehouse. And on the way down, one of the nails that was sticking out of my makeshift ladder caught my knee. And it caught my knee on the way down and it ripped this huge, huge gash all the way up my knee. And now I was stuck. What am I going to do? I got this rusted nail that has ripped up my leg. I'm going to get in trouble if my parents found out that I, A, used my dad's tools, B, went and took nails out of an old shed that was not ours, and C, also went and took wood from a barn that was not ours. So I thought, I can hide this. I can keep this from mom and dad. I don't want them to know I got injured, so I kept the wound a secret. I bandaged the wound up really good, tried to clean it up. It got infected. It was bad. I probably should have went to the hospital now thinking back on it. But at the same time, I, I didn't want to get in trouble. So I'm trying to balance this whole thing, you know, life or trouble, you know, I don't know. Uh, so I would try to clean up this wound as best I could, take care of it. But you know, after the years go on, eventually this thing healed up and I have got this monster scar on my knee. And I've had people ask me before, did you have surgery there? I'm like, nope. It was some poor engineering on a tree house that was supposed to be epic. Now, 27 years later, the scar is there, but it doesn't hurt anymore. I don't feel the pain of falling out of the treehouse. Now it's a really good story that I get to tell my church family. But where there was once pain, there's now healing, but there's still a remainder from the pain I experienced. There's still something there that reminds me of what happened. All of us, I don't care who we are, we all have scars of some sorts. Some of your scars are church wounds. Some of your scars are a result of your own arrogance and your own pride and your own bad judgment. And some of your scars were other people that were hurting you. Some scars come from wounds that were dealt that were intentional. Someone was trying to hurt you. Someone was trying to drag your name through the mud. Someone had their sights set on you and your destruction and your embarrassment, and they would almost celebrate any failure that you would happen to come on. But some of those scars were not intentional. Some of them were unintentional, where people wounded you, and they didn't know they were wounding you. They offended you, and they didn't have any idea. There were some things that were said or done or not done, where the people weren't being malicious, they weren't trying to cause you direct pain, they were just things that happened, and you carry these things around, these wounds that we can often have. And there's memories that get attached to these situations, and a lot of those memories, if we're honest, we just rather forget those memories. But lo and behold, somebody's name will get brought up, or a certain situation, or something that feels all too familiar, and you go, here we go again. 
or there's something that reminds you of the situation and all of a sudden you begin to feel the pain again. You begin to feel the wound there and you've been trying to forget it. But let me tell you, folks, God uses scars. God uses scars. God can use your scars to bring you healing. God can use others' scars to bring you healing and use you to bring other people healing through those scars because He can use these things ultimately for His glory. Jesus used scars for His glory. Did you know that? Jesus used scars for His glory. Go over to the book of John, chapter 20, if you have your Bible this morning. John, chapter 20, this is after Jesus had already died on the cross, He had already been buried, and He had already risen three days later. And so, here's Jesus, the resurrected Savior, and He appeared a handful of times to the disciples, those who had followed Him, the people who had committed their lives to follow Him, who had left everything to follow Him. And He had appeared to them to let them know, hey, I'm no longer dead, I'm alive. But there was this guy who just couldn't accept the fact that Jesus was alive. His name was Thomas. As a matter of fact, if you've been around church very long, he has a nickname. It's unfortunate. We call Thomas what? Does anybody know? Doubting Thomas. That's so sad. That's like mean of us. Like, who are we to call him Doubting Thomas? I'm Doubting Derek. Right? I mean, aren't you doubting? Haven't you had doubts before? We've all had doubts, and we're like, Doubting Thomas. Yeah, if you were there, who's to say you wouldn't have doubted too? And we cast so much judgment on poor Thomas. Let's come up with a new nickname. How about just Tom? Sounds better than just Doubting Thomas. That just really stinks to call a guy that. Just like blind Bartimaeus. We call this character in the Bible blind Bartimaeus. Jesus healed him. He received his sight. It just doesn't start with a B. We like to say blind Bartimaeus. Why don't we say seeing Bartimaeus? Beholding Bartimaeus. No, we call him blind Bartimaeus. He was only blind for a short period there in that story, but then he was healed. Man, poor Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He wanted to see Jesus and this is what Scripture says about this particular instance. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told Thomas, they said, Hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he stood among them. And he said, Peace be with you. And Thomas, Jesus looked at him and said, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Then answered Thomas to him. He said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Thomas had seen Jesus crucified. He saw Jesus get completely beat by the Roman guards. He saw them drive the nails into his hands and his feet. And they, he saw the soldier take the spear and pierce Jesus' side. And he said, I'm not going to believe. I don't know, did you guys get a body double or something? Maybe you guys really want to see Jesus. Maybe he's like a figment of your imagination. Maybe you're having dreams about Jesus. Maybe that's what it is. You're not really 
truly seeing Jesus, you're just wanting to see Jesus. And because you want to see him so bad, maybe you're kind of seeing him here or there. And they're like, no, no, he's, he's real. He's, he's alive. And he said, I've, I've got to have some proof. I've got to put my hands where the nails were. I've got to put my fingers where they stabbed him. I, I've got to do that. And Jesus appears to them. And what's the first thing Jesus says? He says, Thomas, give me your hand. Jesus wasn't there when he said that, but Jesus knew Thomas had said that. He knew where his heart was. And answer me this question. Could Jesus, in all of his power, all of his majesty, all of his glory, being God in the flesh, could Jesus have risen from the dead and not retained any scars, yes or no? Yes. Jesus could have risen with no scars. I don't know about you, but if I rose from the grave, I would not want to have any scars at all. Clean. But Jesus kept scars intentionally. Why? Because he loved Thomas. And he knew Thomas would need to see. And he knew Thomas would need to touch. Jesus kept scars that reminded everyone of the past, but yet there wasn't pain in Jesus' scars. Jesus wasn't actively feeling pain, even though there were scars there in his hands and in his side. No, the scars that he retained showed who he was, and they showed the disciples, especially Thomas, that he indeed had risen from the grave. Folks, scars are not a bad thing. We get this stigma in our society, they're bad, we try to hide them. We don't like to, like to talk about them, unless it's a bunch of guys on a camping trip. Then, yes, we will talk about scars. But most of the times, we don't like to promote our scars or show our scars because there's an embarrassment, there's a you know, societal thing where we, we, we don't want to discuss those things or talk about those things because that represents pain. It represents where pain was, where a wound was. But they're not a bad thing. They represent and mind us where pain once was. And if pain is still there, guess what? It's not a scar. If pain is still there, it's a wound. We understand this with our kids. We get this with our kids. Because when our kids scrape their knee or whatever and they want to dig at the scar, what do we tell them? Stop doing that. It'll never heal. Stop it. you got to stop messing with it. We understand this physically. We get it physically. we got no problem understanding how to treat a scar. Why would we think that we would treat the scar any different or we would treat that wound any different in our heart? Why would we think there would be a different remedy? Folks, let me tell you, the same way that we allow those things to heal, God wants those emotional and pains of our past and wounds, whether intentional, unintentional, whether things that someone did or said or things they didn't do, God wants to use those things for His glory and make them be a place of healing because scars don't just represent where pain once was, it represents where healing has taken place. Scars show healing took place here. Here's the evidence of healing. Here's evidence of, yes, a wound, but also of healing because there's no pain attached to it anymore. They're used for the glory of God. They're used to show how awesome our God is because there is a greater purpose behind the pain. Let me tell you something. This is going to be hard for you to swallow, but I want you to hear this. We need to have a greater vision for our wounds. 
I almost say that slow so I can say that some mocha. Somebody was napping or searching for a butterscotch or peppermint or gum or something in their pocket. Listen to me. We need to have a greater vision beyond our wounds. Sometimes our woundedness is so present, it's in our face, and it's so loud, it's all we can see. So many people see their wounds as defeat. They lose energy because of the severity of their wounds. They lose passion. They lose drive. And then they'll sit on their giftedness. They sit on their talents. They sit on the passion that God has put on the inside of them. And they'll serve with a limited functionality and a limited capacity because ultimately they're not healthy. They're still wounded. And they're allowing fear to drive their lives. And they think they're being all big and bad and tough because they're withdrawn, but really they're wounded and they're afraid. They're afraid of being wounded again, afraid of being disappointed again, afraid of being let down, and we make these vows to ourselves. Oh, no, I'm not going to be wounded again. Oh, no, I'm not going to let that happen again. No, sirree. I will not go through this again. I will not do this again. And so anytime anything familiar or anything that smells familiar, we begin to go, "Uh uh-oh, the walls go up, the guards go up, and we never step out and allow that wound to be completely healed. We just kind of allow it to be reopened. And it doesn't get healed because there's still pain that has not been dealt with. It's not healthy. Genesis 50 and 20, Scripture says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now that Scripture is one that was said by Joseph. And I don't know how much you know about Joseph in the Bible or not, but I'll give you just a snapshot of his life and what led him to that statement. Joseph had a lot of brothers, and he was the youngest at the time of his brothers. His dad really loved him a lot. And his dad made him a special coat. His brothers got jealous. And his brother said, we're going to go throw him in a hole and we are going to just let him rot and die. And they threw him in a well. They just threw him down a big hole. And then they felt bad about it and said, let's not do that. Instead, why don't we get him out of the pit and why don't we sell him to these slave traders? Like that's better. So we're going to sell our brother to slave traders because we're jealous because we're offended at the way our father treats him, because we're offended at who he is. So because of our offense, we're going to allow him to suffer so we can not have him in our lives anymore. They came up with this plan. They said, well, what's dad going to say? Let's take his coat, the special coat that, they had, that his dad had given him, and let's rip it to shreds. And let's pour blood on it. Let's take it back to dad and say, dad, so sorry. Joseph was, was caught by an animal, and the animal killed him. And this is all that's left. And that's exactly what they did. And Joseph knew all of this. He saw all of this. And then Joseph goes through so much heartache. He gets imprisoned. He gets falsely accused. He spends a lot of his life behind bars, working in Egypt for someone that doesn't serve God, doesn't love God. And this whole time, don't you imagine he's thinking about what happened to him. He's thinking about the pain. He's thinking about the wounds. And then through a series of events, God shows his favor on Joseph and gives him an opportunity to interpret a dream of the Pharaoh because Pharaoh was troubled by his dream. Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh was so impressed by this that he seated him as second in command over all of Egypt. So he goes from a guy that was thrown in a hole that was lied about, that was sold into slavery, that had been abused, that had been imprisoned, falsely accused, to second in command in Egypt, 
next to Pharaoh. There's a big famine in the land of Egypt. And of course, everyone's struggling for food, but because of Joseph and his wisdom that God had given him and the authority and the seat that he had been given by Pharaoh, he had made provision for the seven years of famine and there was enough food to take care of everybody, but you had to come to Egypt to get it. So of course, Joseph's brothers had to come and get food for their family because there was no food anywhere else. So they go to Egypt and they didn't know that the guy second to Pharaoh was Joseph. They didn't know it was their brother. They didn't know what happened to him. And could you imagine when they saw Joseph as the guy that was delegating the food to people, what thoughts would have run through their mind? What do you think the first thing they thought was? We're dead. We are dead. He is going to kill us. We're dead. And you know what? That's what they deserved. That was a proper judgment for them doing that in that day and time. Man, they should have been executed. And guess what? Joseph had the power to execute them. Joseph had the power to go, you know what? You guys did this to me. You falsely accused me. You falsely imprisoned me. You guys all, you know, are going to be beheaded. And he could have done that with the power that he had. And all he would have had to do was say the word. But instead of giving them judgment, Joseph showed them mercy. He showed them grace. He didn't give them what they deserved. Instead, he forgave them and blessed them and gave them food and even gave his younger brother, Benjamin, a double portion of everything to make sure that the family was taken care of. And then he said to them, Genesis 50 and 20, as for you, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. To bring it about so many people would be kept alive as they are today. Joseph did not allow himself to stay and dwell in a place of offense because he saw a bigger picture. He saw what God was wanting to do. And Joseph, Joseph, man, he could have felt sorry for himself. He could have had his brothers killed. But he saw the greater purpose. And God used the negativity and all the junk that others tried to dump on Joseph and turned it around for God's glory. And God, he said, I know what God was doing. He's, he's doing this so people could be saved. He's doing this for His glory. And this is the key to this whole message today that I want you to get, is that you get to decide whether your scars are going to be a stumbling block or a launching pad. You get to decide that. This is where your responsibility comes into play. You may get wounded. That may not be within the realm of your control, okay? You get wounded, you get scarred, you get hurt, you get maimed, you get offended, you get lied about, whatever. It's not fair. I understand. But then your responsibility kicks in. Your responsibility is to decide whether or not you are going to use your scars to be a stumbling block or a launching pad. Second Timothy 1 and verse 6 through 7, Paul says this to the young Timothy, the young minister. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Paul gave Timothy the responsibility of redirecting his focus because as we read about Timothy, we see obviously this guy struggled with intimidation, right? He struggled with fear because he told him not to be afraid. And because Timothy was afraid, his gifts were being hindered. So the fear that he had entertained because of his wounds had actually put a damper on his gifts being used for the glory of God. And Paul said, listen, I know the gift is there. I know the embers are there. 
You guys know how that works when you see those coals, they're still burning. Yeah, the flames may not be evident, but those coals are still hot. All you need is a little oxygen. All you need is a little kindling. All you need is something to get that thing going. And he said, guess what, Timothy? That's your responsibility. Paul didn't say, wait, Timothy, I'll be right there. Hang on. I know I laid hands on you once. Let me come do it again real quick. Let me come lay hands on you. I'll make everything better. I'll pray for you. No, he said, Timothy, you stir up the gift that's on the inside of you. He said, it's your responsibility. You get to decide from this point whether you're going to allow fear to dictate your gift. You get to decide whether fear is going to get to call the shots. You're the one that's going to get to decide whether the wound that is causing you to be afraid is going to be the thing that keeps your gifts at bay. You're the one who gets to decide that. Is that thing going to be a stumbling block or is it going to be something that launches you? into who God has created you to be. Joseph had to decide this. Joseph had to decide if an unfair situation was going to cause him to turn inward and feel sorry for himself and loathe in self-pity and gather for himself a bunch of friends that would also agree with him and would also share the same sentiment so they could all be offended and upset and pitiful together and just drown himself in that type of lifestyle. Or he could say, what you thought was going to destroy me, God used to save a lot of people. It was for His glory. And he didn't allow himself to go there. And Paul was telling Timothy the same thing. Paul wanted Timothy to know the evil he was experiencing wasn't from God. And if he would focus on what God had given him, he would find his strength in Christ, not in his ability to control other people. Not in his ability to control outcomes. Joseph had to make the same decision would he try to control or would he try to see a vision beyond the pain? Paul told Timothy, decide, take responsibility. The more you, get, you gather people to hear about your wounds, listen, the more that you allow your woundedness to be the subject of your conversation, the angrier you allow your heart to become because your thought life is focused on your wounds, the more you empower the enemy to use your wounds as a stumbling block and the longer it takes for the wound to heal and become a proper scar that can be used as a launching pad. I have two out of my three kids that have significant trauma, medical trauma that has happened in their lives. My daughter Abigail, who's going to be baptized in a little while today, she was born uh, with all sorts of sickness issues that we didn't know about till a few days later and she had to be emergency metaflighted to Children's Hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. And there she stayed in the NICU for a while and we didn't know if she was going to make it or not. It was tough stuff and that little girl got poked and was hooked up to so many tubes and so many things and she's been through so much. And I'll tell you, that little girl has become a very strong young lady. I'll never forget one time that her mother and I took her to the doctor and she had to get some updates on some shots. And the other kids, my other two, they were dreading the shots. Oh no, we're going to get shots. Oh no, they're going to stick us with a needle. When is it Abigail's turn? She rolled up her sleeve and she looked at that nurse and just stared her right in the eyes. <laughs> I'll never forget that. She locked eyes with that nurse and was like, come get some. <laughs> My son Josiah, when 
he, uh, back in 2014, we were going for a family bike ride, and he had a bike wreck before we could even take the family bike ride, and punctured uh, uh, himself with the handlebar in the stomach, and he had to have emergency surgery to save his life, where he lost 80% of his pancreas because of the wound that had happened there. And now he's got this big monster, just of a six, seven inch scar from his navel up to his chest from where they operated on him. I think about those scars. I think about what they've been through. Guess what? Even though my kids have been through a lot of physical trauma, they've still grown. Are you hearing me today? They've still grown. They continue to grow. I'm watching them grow. They're healthy. Yeah, we had to make some adjustments because of the scar. And, and you do have to make adjustments when you get wounded sometimes, but you don't allow those things to stop you from growing. Are you hearing me this morning? How many of you were here a few weeks ago when we had Terry Walthall speak, my old pastor? Raise your hand if you were here. A lot of you guys were here to hear Terry speak. Terry's the guy that gave me my shot in ministry. He was the guy who took a chance on me, 18 years old, and gave me opportunity to be a youth pastor and guess what? We did not have the healthiest relationship. It was not always sunshine and roses. And there were a lot of wounds that happened to me while I was there at that church under his leadership. A lot of things that hurt me for a number of years. A lot of things that made me bitter for a little too long that God had to kick me uh, in the rear and help me to see what I needed to see and open my eyes and soften my heart towards that man. And the fact that he was standing here just a few weeks ago preaching and the fact that we were able to talk about some of those things in our past and we were able to find healing and restoration, that's the reconciliation of God at work. Just because someone wounded you doesn't mean you've got to stay mad forever. Hello, somebody. Just because someone might have intentionally or unintentionally offended you doesn't mean you've got to stay mad forever. Stop believing that lie. It's keeping your gifts hindered. It's holding you back. It's keeping you afraid. It's keeping you scared. It's keeping those gifts that God has given you at bay, and God wants to use those for His glory. He didn't give those to you so you could sit on them because you're scared to do something with them because you've been hurt before. He's given you those things for His glory, and He wants you to be free, and He's already paid the price through Jesus Christ, and He wants you to be healed, and He wants you to be set free, and He wants the same forgiveness that He showed to you while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He wants us to show it to others, because who do we think we are? And this is where I've had to come in life. Who do I think I am, guys? To be able to say I receive forgiveness from God, but then I want to dictate who gets to get forgiveness from me. I want to be able to say who gets it and who doesn't. I want to be able to say who's going to get what's coming to them. But God says, I've sent Christ to die for the sins of the world. For God so loved the world, not this person, and he's really going to smack the other one around because they offended him. You know who has offended God? We have. We have offended God. But instead of Him destroying us, He offered us a lifeline through Jesus Christ and said, I will forgive you and reconcile you into a right standing and right relationship with me. Who are we to try to do the same with other people to try to dictate who gets forgiveness and who doesn't? When God said, I gave forgiveness to everybody. But I'll say, yes, give me some forgiveness, Lord. Give me some love. Give me some healing. Give me some freedom. I just don't want to give it to anybody else because they hurt me. You get to decide whether your scars, whether your wounds become a stumbling block or they become a launching pad. 
Let me tell you, there's been people that have wounded me, relationships that have been strained. Even since I've been the pastor at Word of Grace with other ministers or other people I thought were friends, where I was hurt, where I was wounded, where I had to go back to those people and begin to restore and rebuild relationship, and it made some people scratch their heads and go, why are you hanging out with that guy? I remember what he did to you. And I say, yeah, but I remember what Jesus did for me. A healthy person can minister effectively from their pain and brokenness the gospel of reconciliation. A healthy person can use those scars, can use that pain and brokenness because they're healthy. They realize that the scar represents where pain once was, not where it still is. And I can talk about it and I can minister to you about it because guess what? I fell out of a tree 27 years ago. I'm better now. Some of you may wonder about that, though. You may say, I don't know. Sure you didn't eat some of those paint chips. They're delicious. I have seen and experienced a lot of pain in my life, as I'm sure you have. And I don't want to sit around and compare scars and see who's got worse scars. And I don't want to do that. I, I I don't want to say, oh, well, you'll never give what happened to me, so I couldn't forgive this person. I couldn't do this. I, yeah, I know. I, I, I get it. I've seen and I've experienced a lot of pain in my life connected with church, unfortunately. But guess what? It's kind of cool about that. There's a vision beyond the pain. There's a vision beyond the wound of being hurt in church because it's a great opportunity to grow in exercising the love of God. Oh, I want you to catch that vision. <laughs> when you get offended, it's kind of like where James says, count it all joy, all joy when trials and tribulations come. Like, yes, more trials, more tribulations, yes. <laughs> oh, who says that? That's twisted, man. God says that. He said, he told James to write that down in Scripture so we would read it thousands of years later that we should count it all joy when we fall into trials. Why? because it's doing something in us. It's perfecting us. It's teaching us how to put in action this stuff we say we believe. It's given us opportunity to back up what we say we're about. Thank God for those opportunities. It's a good thing for you to have an opportunity to forgive someone. It's a good thing for you to have an opportunity to be able to learn how to reconcile when relationships have been strained. It's a good thing for you to learn how to get healthy from your past wounds. It's a good thing. And we understand when it comes to getting healthy physically, there are certain things we got to do to keep that wound clean, right? We know we got to clean it up. And then what else do we do? We want to make sure that that wound isn't around a toxic environment. That's why, man, you hear, you see somebody coughing and you, somebody said, oh yeah, our family's struggling with the flu. You're like, mm-hmm, it's good to see you, man. Why don't you hang out over there? And you're like, Germex. I, you're like germaphobe when that stuff happens. You're like, I don't want to get sick. I, I realize that we get that physically. Why don't we get that spiritually? Because when you've got a, a wound that's open, the worst thing for you to do is to get around something toxic 
But we run to something toxic. We run to gossip. We run to negativity. We run to surrounding ourselves with people who are going to go, oh yeah, they were so bad. Oh, you know what else they did? Oh, you know what else they did? Oh, they're so terrible. And we drag those people down and we just further create this toxicity and the wound just gets infected and we're feeling right but yet feeling wrong at the same time. Because we're not getting healed. It's not, it's not healed. And every time the name is brought up, you're like, yeah, the wound's still there. Let's talk about that some more. And you surround yourself with toxic people and toxic situations. We get this physically, then we clean it up. <laughs> we clean it up, man. Neosporin all day. Put the Band-Aid on. Keep it in a healthy environment. Change, change the bandage. Listen, you got to change the environment you're in. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? You picking up what I'm putting down? We get this physically. Why don't we get this spiritually? We got to have a greater vision for beyond the pain. We got to make some decisions to see past our pain. How can your pain of the past be used to help other people? Because God wants you healed, and it's not just for you. Just like Jesus retains scars as a testimony to other people for his glory, even with the pain you're feeling now, even with the disappointments that you're going through now, the reality of the pain is that it blinds us to see the potential. The, the pain can be so loud sometimes and so blinding that we can't see past it. We can't see the potential of how could God possibly turn this thing around? How could God possibly bring healing and reconciliation? How could I possibly forgive someone who's wounded me this deeply? We can't see it. Oh, it's so loud, man. And God is saying, will you let me heal your heart? Will you let me work through you? Because the same love that he's shown you is not only going to heal you, but it'll become a launching pad to heal other people. A scar from a nine-year-old kid that did not have an engineering degree, that made some bad choices, and has a scar as a result, that the scar doesn't represent the pain anymore. It represents where the pain once was. It represents where I've been healed. It represents where I've been healed. But you've got to clean up that environment. Maybe it's time that you've got to shut some negative conversation down that's toxic. You've got to shut down rehashing the same old thing over and over again because it's keeping the wound infected. It's not letting it heal. Maybe you need to take the first step and, and actually ask the individual who has wounded you to forgive you. Yeah, but they're the ones who hurt me. You don't know what they did. I get it. I get it. I get that you've made this vow with yourself. And you've told all your friends that you're not going to say you're sorry till they say they're sorry. But what if God's telling you to be the bigger person? What if God is telling you to take the first step? What if God is telling you it's time for you to allow this wound to get cleaned up and to get healed so it can become a scar and a place where healing exists, where you can actually minister from and where your gifts aren't hindered anymore, where your potential's not limited anymore because of fear? What if today is that day? What if today is that day where you make that kind of decision, where you stop messing around and playing around with God and you say, yes, Lord, I need forgiveness. And yes, Lord, I need to give forgiveness. Yes, Lord, I need to 
be an instrument of reconciliation to other people. I need to be an instrument of healing. Lord, help my wounds to heal up and become scars to be used for your glory, to be used to help other people. Lord, I pray that today that you help us all to find healing and wholeness. I pray today will be significant. I pray that today will be one of those moments that's like a milestone in someone's life. I pray that today will be like one of those memorable moments where someone comes face to face with God and makes a decision and then puts some action behind that decision to receive forgiveness and to give forgiveness. I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.